your Bibles tonight, we're going to be looking at a, a subject that is near and dear to my heart, and I'm sure it's near and dear to your heart as well. And tonight we're beginning a two-part series on how to receive the Holy Ghost, how to receive the Holy Ghost. And uh, we're doing this for several reasons. Now, I realize the problem that I'm facing when teaching on a subject like this is that many of us have heard preaching and teaching and more preaching and more teaching on this subject many, many times. And I know it's Wednesday night Bible study and and the majority of us here already have the Holy Ghost. And now some of us probably need a good refilling of the Holy Ghost. But that's another lesson for another night. But sometimes I feel like the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 1 through 3. Let's look at that together, shall we? 2 Corinthians 11, 1 through 3. Would to God ye could bear with me a little in my folly and indeed bear with me. For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through a subtility so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So Paul is essentially saying bear with me just a little while because I have an awesome responsibility of presenting this church as a pure bride to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul understood that Satan can distort even the simplest of things into something powerfully deceptive. Now think about that for a moment. Adam and Eve only had one rule to follow. Think about it a second. Just one thing. God said, don't eat from the tree of life or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That doesn't sound too hard, does it? Does that sound hard to you? Don't you think for the sake of all of humanity, for all of time and eternity, we could abstain from just one piece of fruit from... From two different trees, that was it. That was all they had to do. They could eat from every other tree. They could do whatever they wanted. They could go where they wanted. Uh, They were in paradise. They were in a place of great beauty. And uh, there were no other laws, no other restrictions, no other restraints. And yet they were completely deceived by the serpent. Isn't that blow your mind when you think about it? Just, Just one little moment of deception and Eve completely caved in. And change the course of history for forever. So Paul is saying, I worry about you. Even though I know you know some of these things. And I know I'm repeating myself. But but I know how deceptive Satan can be. And my friends, if, if we aren't absolutely convinced that people need the Holy Ghost to be saved. Then people won't receive the Holy Ghost in our church. It's really that simple. How many want to see an outpouring of the Holy Ghost? Just like they saw in the book of Acts. How many want to see people speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance? How many can remember when God filled you with the Holy Ghost for the first time? I wish you'd just wave your hand to the Lord and say, thank you, Jesus, right now. As we remember when God, I remember, I can never forget it, and, and I know I've probably shared this, and, uh, but I remember when I received the Holy Ghost for the first time, I'd been seeking for a long time, and uh, I, was, I was only seven years old, but I'd been seeking for a long time. And, uh, and it was on, it was on 
uh, Mother's Day that I received the Holy Ghost for the very first time at seven years old. And, uh, and I remember it like it was yesterday. And I'm thankful that God refilled me a time or two as well. Because there were some times as a teenager where, I'll tell you what, I needed the Holy Ghost all over again. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Don't look all self-righteous at me. Some of y'all need the Holy Ghost right now. <laughs> Amen. But I'm thankful that he first filled me. And I believe that that's a gift that's for everybody. Everybody. And, uh, and, and I believe that, uh, that we're in, coming into a season where God is about to start pouring out the Holy Ghost on people who have never received it at Apostolic Tabernacle. And at the same time, God's about to start refilling some people, some backsliders, some prodigals with the Holy Ghost that desperately need a refilling of the Holy Ghost. How many believe that with me tonight? I believe now churches go through seasons. There are seasons of preparation. There are seasons of planting. And, uh, you know, if you, if you look at harvest time in the natural, you look at a farmer when he plants, there's much more time of preparation than there is time of harvesting. There's a whole lot more that goes into the preparing. There's a lot of hard work. There's a lot of labor. Uh, there's a lot of finance. There's a lot of things that happen long before just that short little window. Uh, I knew a farmer years ago, lived down the road from my, my in-laws, and uh, we got to know him pretty well. And, uh, and he was talking about how they just have a window to get the harvest in. And if they, don't, if they don't take advantage of that window of opportunity, then they miss and they have to start all over. And they can lose everything if they miss the window. Listen, Apostolic Tabernacle, I don't want to miss the window that God's about to give us. I know we've been preparing. I know we've been working. I know we've had harvest last year. But God's about to do something in this year, in this season. Amen. And we need to be prepared for it. We need to be ready. And we need to believe without a, beyond a shadow of a doubt that the infilling of the Holy Ghost is absolutely necessary. It is absolutely essential to salvation. Does anybody believe that tonight? I wish you'd clap your hands to the Lord if you believe it's essential to salvation. Now let me take you to another passage. This time uh, the Apostle Peter's second letter and uh, chapter 1 verse Verses 12 and 13. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. Now, I know it's Wednesday night, and I know that many of us have heard countless hours of teaching and preaching about the infilling of the Holy Ghost. But I feel exactly like the Apostle Peter right now. I've come to do nothing more than to stir some of you up and put you in remembrance uh, that we've got to stand on truth. We've got to stand on the Word of God. And there's a lost world that needs the Holy Ghost. Amen. I'm, now, we're going to talk about, next week, we're going to talk about obstacles to receiving the Holy Ghost and all of those things. Tonight we're going to do some preliminary things. And I promise if you'll stay awake with me, I'm not going to teach for a long time. But I want to talk to us for a moment about prophecies. Everyone said prophecy. Now, it's difficult for me to get up and teach this because uh, Pastor French was the last two Wednesdays was going in depth into end time prophecy. And, uh, and of course, that stirred a lot of thinking. And by the way, he's had almost 20,000 hits on his first sermon on end time prophecy 
uh, almost 20,000 hits on the podcast. Don't you think that's something we ought to thank the Lord for? 20,000 people listen to that, to that message. I think that's an amazing thing, don't you? And so here I am talking about prophecy, but this is important. This pertains to us right now. Prophecies concerning the Holy Ghost outpouring. And we don't have time to look at all of them. Uh, but before we can get to the how of how to receive the Holy Ghost, we need to talk about the why. Why do we need the Holy Ghost? And the simple answer is that the Holy Ghost is an essential part of God's plan of salvation. In fact, the outpouring of God's Spirit was prophesied in the Old Testament when the Holy Ghost was poured out on the day of Pentecost. It wasn't something that God did spontaneously. The outpouring on the day of Pentecost wasn't something that God just decide, woke up, decided to do that day. No, no, this was something that had been prophesied about. This is something that had been foretold. And it was a direct fulfillment of Bible prophecy. And, and the fact that it continues, now listen to me, the fact that it continues to be poured out today, look at your neighbor and say today, you can receive the Holy Ghost today. The Holy Ghost wasn't, isn't just for yesterday and for old tent revivals of, of ages past. The Holy Ghost is for us today, right here, right now. And the fact that it continues to be poured out is a direct fulfillment of prophecy. So when God fills someone with the Holy Ghost, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, they become a part of the fabric of God's Word. They become a part of the thread of prophecy that has continued all of these thousands of years. Isn't it an amazing thing when you begin to think about how we are a part of God's plan? We're a part of God's story. This, this church isn't here by accident. You're not in church tonight on accident. You're not studying God's Word on accident. You're a part of God's plan and purpose for your life. In fact, in fact, this is a beautiful part of, of God's history. And, uh, and so let's look at Joel. Now, most of you expect me to go here. Let's look at Joel chapter 2 and verse number 28. And of course, we know in Acts chapter 2, Peter alluded to Joel and he referenced it specifically. He said, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. So let's read it out loud together, shall we? And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my... Spirit upon, upon a few people, upon a certain race of people, upon a certain generation. No, no, no. All flesh. And your sons and your daughters. Somebody ought to claim that tonight. Your sons and your daughters. I wish someone right now would raise your hand and claim that in the name of Jesus. I claim it right now. I claim our sons, our daughters. Our children, our grandchildren. Oh, I feel a spirit of prophecy in the house right now. Oh, some of y'all aren't feeling spiritual yet. You're still, you're still dealing with the carnality of the day that you've been around all day. Some of y'all need to shake off that carnality and start operating in the realm of the spirit in a Wednesday night Bible study. I feel the Holy Ghost reaching out to our children and our children's children. Oh, my God, my God, my God. Help us, Jesus. Hallelujah. And your old men shall dream dreams. Hallelujah. Someone needs to reach out and claim this. And your young men shall see visions. 
We need a, we need a Holy Ghost revival around young men in our generation. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. So the Holy Ghost is for everyone. Now let me take you to Ezekiel chapter 36. Now we're talking about prophecies concerning Holy Ghost outpouring. Ezekiel 36 and 26. You ought to mark this in your Bible if it's not already marked. But let's read this together if we could. A new heart also will I give you and a new And a new will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit. Think about that a second. And I will put my spirit within you. And someone needs to notice this. You ought to underline. You ought to highlight this real big in your Bible. And I'll put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes. And ye shall keep my judgments and do them. Don't tell me after you get saved, you have to continue in sin. When God puts his spirit inside of you, you're going to walk in his statutes. You're going to walk in the goodness and the grace of God. The Holy Ghost is going to change you. It's going to transform you. It's going to empower you. It's going to embolden you. And it's going to enable you to rise above sin. Amen. So I want you to notice here. I'm going to calm down because I want to preach it and I'm not supposed to be preaching tonight, but I want you to notice, get your Bible out, get a pen. And uh, you say, well, that's disrespectful. You ought to, you ought to get a Bible that you mark in every once in a while. Verse number 27, I will put my spirit, mark that, and cause you to walk in my statutes. And every time somebody comes to you and says, well, once you're saved, you can live any old way you want to because grace abounds. I want you to take them to this and say, God filled me with his spirit, and now I'm going to walk in his statutes because I love him, because he saved me when I was unworthy. It's not because you're such a good person. It's not because you've got power and got it all figured out and wear a nice suit and tie your tie just right. No, 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 no. It's because God filled you with His Spirit. Amen. And the minute we start trying to walk in righteousness and walk in holiness without being full of the Holy Ghost, that's the minute we fall on our face and look foolish. Because it's His righteousness. And it's the Spirit of God that empowers us. So that tags in nicely with what Jesus says in the Gospel of John, beginning in chapter 14. And verse 24. If you have your Bibles, you ought to go there as well. Let me find it here. Well, it's going to take us a minute. Y'all are going to have to have your Bible tonight. John 14 and verse 24. He that loveth me, this is Jesus speaking now. He that loveth me not, keepeth not my sayings. He that loveth me not, keepeth not my sayings. Now let what Jesus just said in his word. Sink into your thinking for a moment here. He said essentially this. People who don't love me don't keep my sayings. Early in verse 15, Jesus said this. He said, if you, he said it this way. If you love me, keep my commandments. So we're finding that God does care. Look at your neighbor and says, God cares about how I live. Oh, some of y'all whispered that. God cares (laughs) about how I live. 
And because he cares, he deeply cares. And because God knows that we can't do it by ourselves, God knows that that we can't measure up by ourselves. uh, God is going to give us a gift that is more valuable than all the money and all the banks in the world. He's going to give us his spirit. And if you have the spirit tonight, just thank him one more time. Thank you, Jesus. And then Jesus continued, And the word which he hears not mine, but the Father's which sent me, these things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. So Jesus is saying, right now I'm with you. I'm here with you presently. And you have direct access to me. You have direct access to my words. And you, uh, you have access to the power that I have. In verse 26 he says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. What's that name? There's power in the name of? There's healing in the name of? There's deliverance in the name of? There's salvation in the name of? Amen. He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So let's jump forward two chapters in your Bible to John chapter 16 and verse 7 where Jesus continues along this same vein, this same subject. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove. Someone said convict. That word reprove is is really the root word for convict. So he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Look at your neighbor and say, say, God really does care how I live. So when the comforter comes, he's going to convict the world of guilt in regards to sin and righteousness and judgment. How many are thankful for the Holy Ghost tonight? All right, now let me take you to John 14 this time. Gospel of John 14 and 16. Jesus again on this same subject. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. There's that word again. Someone said the comforter. That he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. That to me is one of the greatest promises in the word of God. Is when Jesus looked at his disciples and said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. How many are glad that when, when you were lost, when you were, when you were in, in a state of absolute depression, when you were in a state of, of just at the end of your rope and, and you needed something, you may not have even known what it is, that the Holy Ghost found you and brought salvation and comfort and peace and joy and righteousness and family and purpose to your life. Okay, now let's dig deep for just a minute here. Did any of you notice in verse 17... That Jesus said to his disciples that the comforter dwelleth with you and shall be in you. It almost seems like a contradiction at first because the comforter could not be sent until Jesus was glorified. Jesus had already said that in the previous chapter. We just read in John 16 that the comforter's coming was dependent upon Jesus going away. He said, it's expedient for me to go because when I go, the comforter's going to come. So how is it that the comforter who was yet to be sent dwelleth with them? In John 14, that's exactly what Jesus said. So verse number 17 is the key to understanding the passage. Let's read it again. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. 
And then he continues in the next verse by saying, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Here's the key. Jesus is the comforter. Jesus is God manifest in the flesh. Jesus is the father. Jesus is the Holy Ghost. All these three in one. Jesus embodied it. Amen. And so when Jesus was with them, he was the comforter. Amen. Praise God. The Holy Ghost isn't a third person in the Godhead and Jesus isn't a second part of the Godhead or some separate distinct entity apart from, from God. Christ was dwelling with them and he was going to come back as the comforter and dwell in them. How many are glad that Jesus' spirit is here tonight? He's with us. If some of you would let go of the carnality of the day that's still stuck to you, you could feel the presence of the Holy Ghost that's operating and flowing and moving. Some of you, your mind is everywhere, but where God wants it to be right now, God's Spirit is here right now. Anything can happen because the Comforter is in the house. Amen. Praise God. So now let's look at the the final prophecy. By Jesus regarding the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. This is Jesus speaking just days before Pentecost. Let's read this out loud together. But ye shall receive a little power. But ye shall receive power. After that the is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea. And Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So so Jesus here, just as he's about to send into the the heavens, he prophesied one one final time that they needed to go and wait in Jerusalem until they're endued with power from on high. Isn't that a beautiful thing? And so the prophecy, it went from from the old prophets in in the Old Testament, that old prophet Joel, all the way until Jesus himself, as the ages is transitioning, as the church was about to arise, and we're about to go from the Old Testament age into a New Testament age. How many know the Gospels, the really kind of intermediary spot there, where, where there's this, this shift happening, this, uh, this change from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and Jesus is letting them know you need to go and wait, because that promise is about to happen. Amen. And so... Now I'd like us to do this. Now I'm not going to be much longer. Some of y'all are getting nervous. But I'd like us to look at prophecies concerning speaking in tongues. So we've established that the Old Testament and Jesus himself prophesied of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And, uh, and that ought to make it uh, weighty in our minds. We ought to really be considering the importance of the Holy Ghost. But the Old Testament and Jesus also prophesied how the outpouring would manifest Itself, And we're going to look begin with Isaiah 28 and 11. Let's read this together. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to his people. How many know what, what we mean when we say stammering lips? How many have ever seen someone as they're about to receive the Holy Ghost? It's like they lose control of, of, their, of, their, of their language and they lose control of... of of their lips and there's that stammering that takes place. You say, well, 
Brother Ryan, that, that sounds unusual to me. Well, if, if, you've never, if you've never experienced the power of the Holy Ghost, it will sound unusual. But can I tell you, God is awesome. God can take anything that He wants to take, and God can take control of our language. How many are thankful that God can take control of anything He wants to take control of? All right, so that was an Old Testament prophecy. Let's look at Jesus again in Mark 16 and 17. Again, let's read this out loud. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. Let's lift up our hands and thank the Lord for the Holy Ghost right now. Dear Lord Jesus, God, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that you filled us with your spirit, God. We're grateful to you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 And so we see the prophecies come down through the ages. Not only do we know that the Holy Ghost was going to come, but we knew that it was going to look a certain way. And so now we see the prophecy fulfilled in the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. And we could quote this, but let's go ahead and read it. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And how did they know it? Because they began to speak with other tongues just like Jesus prophesied as the Spirit gave them the utterance. Why don't you clap your hands to the Lord right now and thank the Lord. So the Holy Ghost came suddenly and it had a sound attached to it. I don't want to spend time developing this, but I do want to say that in every instant where something powerful, something transformative happened in the word of God, there was a sound that took place. When the walls of Jericho came down, they were instructed to shout unto God with a voice of triumph. When the Holy Ghost was ushered in on the day of Pentecost and God poured out his spirit for the first time upon all flesh and they began to speak in other tongues as the spirit gave the utterance, there was the sound like a mighty rushing wind. It wasn't a timid wind. It was a mighty rushing wind. Can I tell you a vibrant church that's full of the Holy Ghost is not going to be quiet as a mouse. It's going to be a church that knows how to make a joyful noise. It's going to be a church that knows how to make a sound. It's going to be a church that doesn't run every time a mighty rushing wind begins to sweep through the auditorium. When the Holy Ghost begins to show up in an apostolic church, we ought to lift up our hands and shout unto God with a voice of triumph when the Holy Ghost begins to move in an apostolic church we ought to lift up our hands we ought to dance unto God we ought to make a noise we ought to receive it Oh, I wish someone would clap your hands to the Lord right now. I wish somebody would open up your mouth, throw back your head and just begin to use your voice and thank God thank you Jesus Thank you, Jesus. Ikaya talala borja tasa talala bahatasa tataya. Ikolo borja tasa. Hallelujah. 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 My God. My God. My God. 
You know, I didn't come to preach about this, but I, I, feel, I feel it so strong. I've just got to go ahead and say it. Some of you all ought to go ahead and get in an altar before the week is over and begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. Some of us, it's been far too long since we've allowed the Spirit to fill us up again. We ought, we ought not to be running from the Holy Ghost. We ought to be running towards the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. Amen. We don't need less Holy Ghost. We need more Holy Ghost. And God forbid we ever get to the place where we're ashamed of the Holy Ghost. I'm going to tell you what happens to apostolic churches when they get ashamed of the Holy Ghost. They stop having people receive the Holy Ghost and it doesn't take long. They start sounding like everybody else, looking like everybody else. They haven't seen a miracle in 50 years. They don't know what a life change looks like because the Holy Ghost is where the power is. The Holy Ghost is where our power source is at. And we can't be ashamed of our power source. Now, I'm all about doing things with decency and in order, and we try to do that. And, I, I, and we try to do everything in a, in a good, proper manner. But every once in a while, we need to get old-fashioned drunk in the Holy Ghost. How long has it been since you've been able to say, These are not drunk as ye suppose. Every once in a while, we've got to get a little undignified, like David did. Because we want the Shekinah glory of God in our midst. And we don't need to leave people who are seeking for the Holy Ghost all by themselves while we're standing beside them looking dignified. When somebody is seeking the Holy Ghost, tears are going to flow. They might shake a little bit. Their lips might stammer like Isaiah prophesied. It might look a little funny to someone who's operating with a carnal spirit. But when we're in the Holy Ghost, we're going to be right there with them. Speaking in other tongues, we're going to be right there with them. Praising God. We're going to be right there with them. Believing that God is going to change their life. Seeking the Holy Ghost is not a casual thing. It's not a carnal thing. It's a spiritual thing. And we've got to do it spiritually. And we've got to be in the Holy Ghost. If we want to see people get the Holy Ghost. Amen. And that means Wednesday night. That means Monday night. That means Tuesday night prayer meeting. That means Thursday when you're on the job. God can fill the people with the Holy Ghost anywhere, anytime, in any place if you're walking in the Holy Ghost. But if you're depending on the preacher's Holy Ghost, the pastor's Holy Ghost, or bishop's Holy Ghost, you're not going to be feel, you're not going to be seeing things happen in the job and in your family. You've got to have it for yourself, and you can walk in the power and the authority. Amen. You can be seated. I'm coming to a close. Praise God. Praise God. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. It's not going to be on the screen. Men and brethren, what must we do to be saved? Then Peter said unto them, we could quote this, couldn't we? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And ye shall... Receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Now, I think it's safe to say that all of Scripture and prophecy 
was leading in a certain way to Acts chapter 2. Now you say, now, Brother French, are you cheapening Calvary? Are you cheapening the work of the cross? No, absolutely not. Because, because the cross, the work that Jesus did on the cross made Acts chapter 2 possible. There could have been no outpouring. The prophecy of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost uh, could not have happened had Jesus not accomplished what he accomplished on Calvary. I am thankful for the blood of Jesus. If it had not been for the blood, where would I be? Without the blood applied to my life? Without the ability to come to Jesus in repentance? Without, without the ability to be buried in waters of baptism and have his name applied to my life? Think about it. Without Calvary, we could not become a part of the family of Christ. The church isn't possible without Calvary. Uh, as Gentiles, we're, it wouldn't have been possible for us to be a part of this thing without the work that Jesus accomplished at Calvary. What Jesus did at Calvary made Acts chapter 2 possible. And can I tell you, it's a beautiful representation. When you look at the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross, it mirrors beautifully the plan of salvation. At repentance, we die out to sin. How many know that we've got to die out to the old man? We've got to die out to ourself. We've got to die out to our carnality. We've got to put that old man to death. And in repentance, we lay that old man on the altar and we let him die. But how many are glad that Jesus didn't just die at Calvary, but he was buried in the grave? And we're, when we go down in the waters of, bear, of baptism... We're buried with Christ Jesus. His name is applied to our life. The blood covers us. I'm glad that Jesus is my father. I'm so glad that he, that we're all in the same family. And so it mirrors the, the, the baptism or the burial of Jesus. And then finally, he didn't stay in the grave. How many are thankful for that? If he had stayed in the grave, he would have been just another good man that impacted his society and those close to him and died. No, no, no. But on the third day he rose again. The resurrection. And at spirit baptism, when we receive the Holy Ghost, we are resurrected from our spiritual grave. And we rise in newness of life. You know, a lot of, a lot of folks stay buried. Amen? And they never rise in newness of life. How many are thankful that you rose from the grave? Romans 8 and 9. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Stand with me all across the building. The infilling of the Holy Ghost is absolutely essential. If we want to be a part of the family of Christ Jesus. Next week, we're going to talk about how to pray people through to the Holy Ghost, things that hinder people from receiving the Holy Ghost, and some things like that. But what I'd like us to do tonight is I'd like us to lift our hands and just pray that God would send a fresh, fresh rain of the Holy Ghost. Could we do that right now all across this building? Jesus, I pray, God, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand, Lord. And I pray that we would respond appropriately to it, God. I pray that we would walk in the spirit and not in the flesh, God. I thank you for the spirit that you've given us. I thank you for the transformation in our lives. 
And Lord, I know that we can't do it by ourselves, but we're depending on you. We're leaning on your spirit, God. And we can feel your presence tonight. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Amen. I want us to do one more thing. I want us to pray. This won't be in the tape. I'll edit it out. But this is going to be part of a series that we... Dear Lord Jesus, I pray right now for everybody that comes into contact with, with this saving message around the world, God, that you would touch them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Fill them with the Holy Ghost in their homes, in their cars, God. Lord, wherever they are, put a hunger in their heart. And I pray that they would receive the word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you. You're dismissed tonight. Find four or five people and greet them and tell them you're glad to see them in Wednesday night Bible study.